A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Elio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert, Professor Benjamin L. Karp. Professor Karp is the author of several books, including... The Great New York Fire of 1776, A Lost Story of the American Revolution, which was released just last week. He teaches at the Graduate Center and is a Daniel M. Lyons Professor of History at Brooklyn College. Professor Karp was also our guest expert for the Boston Tea Party episode. Let's hear what he has to say about the Great Fire of New York. Professor Karp, welcome back. It's great to be back. Thank you. So the last time you were here, you got us up to speed uh, on the Boston Tea Party and, and the buildup to the American Revolutionary War. And now we're back. But uh, some time has passed. And could you fill us in on what's been going on in uh, the United States up until the spring of 1776? Up until the spring of 1776, the America, the British decided that they really wanted to punish the Bostonians for the Tea Party. The Americans decided they didn't want any of that. Uh, they began arming themselves, marching out into the field, buying gunpowder. Uh, eventually, a war breaks out. Uh, then by uh, the time July of 1776 rolls around, the Americans decide they are going to declare independence. Um, the British, meanwhile, had left Boston uh, in March. Uh, and we're looking for a new city to occupy from which they could suppress the American rebellion. And they set their designs on New York. They take Brooklyn without uh, too much difficulty. Uh, they're looking at Manhattan. They take lower Manhattan on September 15th. And then six days later, about 20% of New York City burns down. 
And in theory, nobody knows why. Now, at what point, because I know that uh, right before the British come and take over New York, Washington's feeling the heat. He he has a sense that they're being outnumbered. And at what point does he toss around the idea of perhaps burning down the city? And how is this received by his peers? Yeah, there had been rumors that the Americans would burn down New York City as soon as they were forced to evacuate it. I mean, New York City was occupied first by the Americans all the way from the spring. I mean, Washington marches in there in April, um, all the way from the spring until September 15th. Uh, and there were there were just rumors everywhere. I mean, Washington had three choices. He could just leave New York City and leave it for the British. He could stand and fight. And it's not that he was outnumbered. It's that his guys were more spread out and he had nothing to match the British Navy. So he's really kind of outmatched trying to defend New York City. So he could either try and stand and fight and have his whole army wiped out. He could leave and leave the leave it as headquarters for the British, or he could leave but make things as annoying for the British as possible, possibly by burning the city down. Those are his choices. And he was told by uh, the c- uh, congressional um, committee, correct, that he not to burn it down. Was he specifically told to do that? Yeah, he 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 knows what he's doing. So he asks permission. I mean, mm. there were people who were starting to get worried, like there were New York legislators writing to him and being like, hey, we heard rumors that like <laughs> anybody's authorized to burn this place down. Could you um, maybe do something about that? And he's like, all right, you know what? I don't really want my head to be on a platter here. I'm going to write to Congress and be like, hey, so this looks like it would be really nice headquarters for the enemy once we're forced to evacuate it. Can I, should I be leaving this intact for the British? And at least in their, in the correspondence that survives, Congress is like, no, no, don't, you know, try and keep damage from happening. (laughs) You know, don't burn the city down. We do not approve of this. And so, I mean, historians have looked at that and said, all right, done. All right. You know, Washington asked permission. They said, no. You know, Washington was the guy who couldn't, you know, tell a lie, you know, you know, all that stuff. Right. So he must not have done it. But I don't know. I mean, he also says after the New York City is burned, Providence or some good, honest fellow has done what we didn't see fit to do for ourselves. In other words, God or some honest fellow (laughs) has burned New York City. And he he said that, that Congress had made a mistake in not giving him authorization to burn the city. He really thought burning the city would be the better idea. Wow. Now it's the night of September twenty first, I guess, and it's early seven, morning hours. Of early September morning, 21st, yeah. And it's seventeen seventy six. What's the vibe in New York, and what, 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 and where is the fire first reported? Yeah, I mean, the vibe in New York City for the past six days had been crazy. Um, you know, the 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 Americans had fled. There might have been troops in disguise or or just people who sympathized with the rebellion wandering around in disguise. The British army is moving in and trying to find barracks for themselves. Some of the loyalist civilians are returning to the city. People are discovering combustible materials in all sorts of weird places. The fire chief of New York says, you know what, I'm going to bury my valuables because I think this fire is coming every, any day. And then in the early morning hours of September 21st, according to some accounts, a fire started on Whitehall Slip, right, around where the Staten Island Ferry leaves from today. And then that, according to some accounts, that fire then is blown by the wind and burns most of the stuff between Broadway and the Hudson River, including Trinity Church, which was the biggest looking building in town. According to other accounts, the fire broke out in six places at once, maybe even 15 places at once. 
and they caught guys with torches in their hands running out of buildings <laughs> that they had just set fire to. It's it's one of those things where a historian looks at these different stories and said, how am I supposed to figure out which of these stories is true? But most of the eyewitnesses on the ground, now granted, most of the eyewitnesses on the ground supported King George III, but most of those eyewitnesses said, uh, yeah, we saw the Americans doing it, and we really think that the Americans had done this deliberately and set that fire in more than one place at once. And once they were caught, if they were caught, how were they dealt with these um <laughs> Patriot well, sympathizers, I guess we could call them. Some of them were brought to prison. Um, some of them might have escaped the British clutches. We don't know. Um, but others were executed on the spot, either by being stabbed by bayonets by British soldiers or even thrown into build burning buildings. Um, and that may well have included a woman and a mixed rice man. Wow. So careful if you were out that night. You could just potentially be mistaken for a, a looter or who knows. Right. Yeah. Were the British just rounding up the usual suspects or had they actually caught people in the act? Because according to the laws of war, if you catch someone, you know, setting fire to stuff, you can kill them on the spot. That was that was considered kosher in the 18th century. Now, what are what, if anything, were people doing to stop the spread of the fire? Was there anyone trying to stop this? Were, were the British helping in any way? Yeah, I mean, the, yes, the British definitely step up. the The British Commandant James General James Robertson is there, like you know, directing the crews. There were fire engines in town. Eighteenth century fire engines could pump water, you know, onto a burning building. The, you know, you could form bucket brigades, toss water on the thing. But if a fire gets really big, it's probably not going to kill anybody. You could outrun it, but it is going to start to build, burn up block after block of wooden buildings with wooden shingles on top. Unless you start creating fire breaks by tearing houses down in order to give the fire temporarily nowhere to go. But again, even even so, if the wind is high, it's going to blow these wooden shingles, which then become flaming brands. I mean, if you know about the pine lawn fire, right, you saw a similar phenomenon in action. Uh, um, I, do I have that right? The paradise, sorry, the paradise fire uh, in California. Oh, you yes. saw a similar phenomenon of trees uh, that were on fire being blown and just like burning up huge swaths of forest in dry conditions. You see that same thing happening in New York. But the British were doing their best to fight the fire. They did not want the city to burn down. They wanted to keep it so that it could be a naval base and a headquarters for them. So they do their best to try and fight this fire. They find that some of the firefighting equipment was either broken down or maybe had even been tampered with, and that there are Americans on the spot trying to interfere with the bucket brigades and had cut the handles of leather buckets, making it impossible for them to carry. They, they say all this stuff. Uh, it's hard to know. But, you know, it was difficult to fight this fire. There weren't that many ex people around. There weren't that many experienced firefighters around. And that's going to make it difficult to fight this fire. Now, there was also no warning system, correct? Because the 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 bells had been melted. Yeah, this was, a, this was sort of a funny thing. The, the, the Americans had taken down the bells of all the churches and, you know, in order to melt them into bullets or into cannon. Um, and so, yeah, when it came time to sound the alarm and wake everybody up in the middle of the night, there were no bells. And I mean, those bells were actually really important as warning systems in an 18th century city. Um, yeah. So there were no bells. Again, it is true that the Americans had removed all those bells for, you know, for the reasons that they said, which was that, you know, they were just going to take them down and melt them into bullets. At the same time, a lot of the British said, hey, that's a little convenient that there was no warning system when it came time to set the city on fire. So, again, it's one of those pieces of evidence that can kind of cut both ways. Now, 
the how likely do you think it was that the fire was set by Patriot spies? I mean, at the time, what were they spying on? I think it was really like likely. I mean, we could call them saboteurs. We could call them spies. Uh, you know, if a, if a, an American officer is out of uniform in New York City, he's a spy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and they did catch people who they accused of being captains from New England who were just kind of hidden in the city or running from uh, uh, British soldiers who they said were doing this. And there was there was evidence from before the fire of like, hey, there are, there are still people I recognize. Somebody said, I, there are people, people who I definitely recognize as American soldiers who are still in town and disguised as something else. Like, you know, and they reported this to somebody in New Jersey like these guys are there um and so again this is not the kind of thing that people write down right like in the wire you don't take notes on a criminal conspiracy <laughs> right so you know so there's not going to be a lot of evidence for you know where it's like ah yes you know saboteur number one was on this block and saboteur number two was stationed over there instead all we have are these stories that it doesn't look like the british made up that they caught all these people in the act um, and again, there weren't trials. There are reasons for this. We don't have, you know, forensic evidence. You know, it seems like the interviews of witnesses might seem a little biased, but but there's just too much evidence to completely ignore the idea that there were American sympathizers on the spot trying to burn the city down. Now, there's a historical figure, Nathan Hale, who has a connection to the fire. What can you tell us about him? Now, Nathan Hale does not seem he was sent to Long Island to figure out where the British were, bring some reports back to the American army. Um, It doesn't appear that he had made it into Manhattan by the time the fire started. Nevertheless, he has the bad luck to be caught while the British are really angry about their headquarters having been burned. And he confesses to being a spy. He's like, yep, sorry, you got me. I've got the paperwork on me. Like, I, I can't pretend any, to be anything other than a spy. So they're like, all right, you're a confessed spy. I'm afraid we have to execute you. And so they execute him on uh, on the next day. And he supposedly says this famous line, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. And so he's been famous to school children ever since. But what's interesting to me is that I think there's a spy who ought to be even more famous than Nathan Hale, who was hanged months later in June 1777 after having definitely moved in between New York City and New Jersey, trying to find out what the British were doing and passing information on uh, to George Washington. He's also trying to like bribe British grenadiers. There was some supposedly some whole plot that he was going to set a bunch of things on fire in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where the British were stationed on the king's birthday and coordinate it with an attack by the American army. So he gets caught. Right. Because he's being really careless. Uh, This guy's name was Abraham Patton. And the British hang decide they're going to hang him. And he also says something sort of like Nathan Hale on the gallows. And the the Hessian soldier generals, uh, the Hessian officers who witnessed this, like kind of admire the guy. They're like, yeah, this guy was a stand up guy. He even like took the the cloth or whatever that was supposed to cover his face. And he he covered his face himself. And he's like, "I, I do this bravely because I believe my cause is just. And then they hang him. And supposedly on the gallows, he confessed to also having burned New York City nine months before and refused to name any of his accomplices. And then Washington afterwards is like, yeah, this article mentions his wife and four kids. Why don't we get them some money? But let's do it quietly, given the line of work that he was in. Um, So they're at least admitting that he was a spy in their employ. Maybe they were also admitting that he was one of the guys that they had sent to burn New York City. Mm, Perhaps he said too much. 
Uh, yeah, well, again, <laughs> they'd already had him dead to rights, right? Yeah, but, it, you know, I guess he had nothing to lose and he refused to name any of his accomplices. And by then, right, I think he realized that the British had already lost um, the battle to tell their side of the story of who had burned New York. Because at that point, American newspapers were already making fun of the British, like, you guys are trying to pin this on us. No way. Our army was nowhere near. Um, you know, it must have been drunken British sailors who did this or, you know, uh, these crazy Hessian monsters that you have as mercenaries like the the, Amer the Americans had already flooded the zone with misinformation, with disinformation to kind of say, no, nah, wasn't us. Uh, probably an accident. We'll never know. Um, <laughs> now, did Washington get any backlash after the fire? Uh, do you think that people suspected him uh, being behind it? I don't know what he thought. I mean, he sends a couple of terse letters to the Continental Congress and to the governor of Connecticut saying, we don't know how it happened. But his family of officers in the Continental Army camp definitely sent letters to like Boston newspapers saying, make sure you insert this item that makes it look like we had nothing to do with it and that the British were arbitrary and crazy and committing all sorts of atrocities of their own. Make sure that's the item that New England newspaper readers read. So whether that was coming from Washington because he was really nervous that people would put two and two together and say, hey, your men were saying you were going to burn the city all summer. Now it's burned. You know, it's pretty obvious to us who did it. But Washington is very careful to preserve his reputation. And even in a letter to his own cousin, you know, he's kind of like, well, Providence or some good, honest fellow. Right. Like, I think it was a mistake, but I asked Congress permission and they said no. So for all anyone knows. I had nothing to do, I had nothing to do with this, but he vouches not just for Abraham Patton, this, you know, but he vouches for two other officers who were uh, imprisoned by the British for having set New York City on fire. He's always sticking up for these guys and being like, hey, let's try and get him out of prison. Hey, wow. can we recommend this? Guy? He's out of prison now. Can we recommend him for some, you know, cushy job or whatever? Like he sticks up for quite a few guys who had burned New York City for somebody who was totally innocent of having burned New York City. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just a conspiracy theorist, but I kind of think... Washington must have known something. Yes. Hard and to prove. it sounds like he had also had quite the publicity machine behind him. I mean, wow. He did. I mean, if you look at Washington's correspondence and you can find all this stuff online because the good folks of the papers of George Washington have put this up. It's all on the National Archives. He spends the entire war just writing letters, right, to Congress, to governors, to his officers, right? I mean, he he has a whole information machine at his disposal. People are desperate to know what's going on in his headquarters throughout the war. So he knew that it was a civil war and he had to win this war on the basis of public opinion, not just on the battlefield. If anything, he spends much of the war trying to avoid getting in fights because he doesn't want, you know, uh, to be at a disadvantage with the British. But one case where he does have an advantage is in being able to put out information in being able to coordinate with rebel friendly newspapers, you know, in order so that civilians are going to sympathize with the rebellion and not try and run back into the arms of King George. Hmm. What else do you think is important for us uh, and our listeners to understand about this, as you call it, as the title of your book states, Lost Story of the American Revolution? Yeah, I mean, we co we covered a lot, I have to say. But I mean, I think there's a way in which um, most stories of the American Revolution, uh, and I have the late Jan Lewis to thank for this, but um, are bedtime stories of the revolution, a kind of comforting story of the founders in knee breaches or the brave soldiers who suffered and sacrificed. And to some degree, a lot of that is true. But there were also ways in which the American Revolution was kind of a brutal civil war of 
beating up loyalists, you, you know, uh, both sides committing atrocities, both sides burning down cities, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. We like to think that our revolution was a kind of moderate one compared to revolutions in France or Russia or China. Uh, but the truth is our nation was born in war. Um, and we kind of have to reckon with the idea that um, there was disaster and catastrophe, the stuff that you guys love to talk about on the Alarmist <laughs> podcast, um, you know, throughout the war that made America was what it was. Okay, Professor Carp, I have to ask you, at the end of the day, after all of your extensive research, who or what, it can be a concept, do you think is to blame for the great New York fire of 1776? I want to say George Washington, and I don't have him dead to rights, but I will say that American patriots were responsible for the burning of New York City. Wow. All right. Well, we are going to have to go back and uh, maybe uh, change our verdict. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, helping us understand this, uh, as you call it, lost story of the revolution. Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. I love talking to Professor Carp. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. if any of you listeners out there are his students, I hope you appreciate. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> how lucky you are to go to his right? classes. Yeah. Um, and don't go partying the night before his classes and come and just show up kind of hungover and like phone it in. All right. No, no phoning it show in. Show some respect to press Professor Carp. 
<laughs> well, have some uh, respect for your education. That's what I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> um, before we dive in and talk about um, what Professor Carp kind of like just threw at us and, and a potential mm-hmm. verdict change, I want to take a minute to encourage all of our listeners to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. It really helps us keep the mics on here at The Alarmist. That's right. And it helps us um, get Buy more... Prison food for The Alarmist, Joe. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, right Clayton, now. Um, can you give us a an example of you know a, a potential review one might leave? I would be happy to. And we have a fun one from Kyle. Uh, five stars titled my 2022-23 podcast addiction. And Kyle says, a few weeks back, I heard on the office ladies that the Alarmist podcast was a great one to listen to. They weren't wrong. I have truly enjoyed the episodes I have listened to so far. So who's to blame for my new podcast addiction? Fact checker Chris Smith, Chris Smith for his role in the office, <laughs> Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey for introducing me to the podcast, <laughs> Rebecca Delgado Smith and guests for creating such a great show. Aww. The interesting events that have happened, my mundane job that lets me listen to hours of podcast <laughs> a day, aka capitalism. I'm calling it Rebecca Delgado Smith and great guests. You're getting the big clap. Ooh, Thank you for the podcast. Uh, an honor. Chris Smith. For your role on The Office, you're getting the big slap. Okay. Not possible without you. And The Office ladies, you're getting thrown in the alarmist jail. The culprit of the podcast addiction. Wow. So, wow. That's a great, <laughs> fun it's review. An epic, epic <laughs> review. And we, are, and we threw the people who recommended the podcast in Yes, jail. that doesn't feel we right. Didn't. That doesn't yeah. feel right. Hey, hey. But that's, uh, hey, you're allowed to do that. Process of, elim- of elimination will get you there sometimes. Chris, mm-hmm. how's, how's your cheek feel? Yeah, I got slapped pretty good there. And look, <laughs> when I was on the set of The Office, just sort of like, and I saw Steve Carell at the catering and I had all those ex- fun experiences. Little did I know I was setting the table for my future slap right in the face from one of our <laughs> mm-hmm. listeners. It was mm-hmm. honestly, I did not expect that. Mm. And um, would I do it they again? They should have slapped yeah. you right then and That's there. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, so... Back to Professor Carp. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and this, uh, you know, what, what he describes at as a, I, I, I guess the word could be lawless time in, sure. in, in, in our country. Yeah, it seems pretty scary. It does. Mm-hmm. And I think what he said about something that we should all remember when, when we talk about the American revolution and our revolution, which is what uh, it's not as like cookie cutter as it right. might seem or, or as, you know, sweet. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a bedtime story. Wholesome. It's not a bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah a blood little... and it's like, you know, it's like the trend in some of these war movies now that are being really graphic. So you're just like, Oh, right. That's how bad it yeah. is. War is it's war. Like, yeah, war is war. Mm-hmm. Pretty gross. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he described that I'd never heard of it being it described as a civil war of sorts, too. Because, but that's really what it was. There were loyalists, patriots, you know, what have you. And everyone was mixing together and calling themselves American of one way or another or um, whatever they called the, themselves. So, patriots and loyalists? Yeah, but I just never heard of it described as a civil war. Like, there yeah, were, there I were know divided interest within our sort of borders and nation. Yes, I think that's mm-hmm. something that the uh, the glossed over 
history books don't really dive into, which is the fact that there were plenty of loyalists that mm-hmm. were living among in the Americas yeah, at the time in, in the United States at the time. And it's also crazy just to think about like we went to school in New York and New York being what it is today. And yeah, had they actually, I mean, there was some, they, I mean, we'll get to this, but professor Carp thinks that this was America. This was, these were American patriots that set yeah. fire to the city. If they had done a more complete job of it, you wonder what New York would look like or if it would exist at all. I mean, you'd like to think it was resilient enough to survive, but it's just interesting interesting to think about. That's right. I know. We, it seems so far removed, too. You know, like we haven't really had war on our soils in so long. And to think about walking through like a major city that we all kind of know and it being in ruins and or like burning and not really knowing if that person is like on your side or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Seems yeah, like think about, straight out uh, of a movie, you know? Right. Now, or you think about Ukraine and Kiev and the things exactly, they're experiencing exactly. right there. There was that one church that didn't burn to the ground. It was St. Paul's Chapel mm-hmm. in lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. uh, like not far from where later the uh, Twin Towers were. And mm-hmm. that, if, if you think about that church, what it has been through it's like one of the only standing buildings yeah still and you know there's a cemetery around it and i'm sure that cemetery Mm -hmm. was there at the time you Mm know uh so it's just interesting you know when you think about buildings having like seen history yeah Yeah, these walls could talk kind of yeah Mm -hmm. now what were some other things? I know you guys were jotting down a bunch of notes as I was talking to Professor Carp. What were some other things that really stuck, stood out? Oh, Abraham Patton. Yes. Did right. not know about Mr. Patton. What happened there, huh? You know what it, it feels know. like? I think it feels like Washington really wanted to look like the good guy. And to mm. associate himself or, you know, n- not a good guy. Well, yes, the good guy, but also the like true truth telling guy, <laughs> like the honest, <laughs> the honest guy. Right. Not take the truth telling guy. guy. Yeah, um, you wanted to sound like a truth telling guy. Yeah. Uh, and mean- and it, which it worked. It worked. He did a good job really playing that guy. And. It felt like if he associated himself with any of the spies who admitted to having been part of this fire, then it might have muddied his reputation in a way. Well, what you have here is like this. This is a standard technique in like those mafia movies or in, in Sopranos, too, where the the head of the organization or whatever says things without saying them to remain sort of a plausible deniability kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you have Washington's this leader kind of can say some things, kind of can't say other things. And then, you know, Ben really, really concerned a, with the people that did the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ben did a great job of sort of providing evidence to sort of make you think and make you wonder about how, how much Washington was involved. And clearly, yeah. I mean, when we asked him who was responsible, he mentioned Washington and he mentioned yeah. that he would really like 
he to wanted say to say, yeah, he wanted to put it on Washington, but he didn't have the smoking gun. No, no. But he said George Washington, but American patriots, which I guess you could argue that George Washington falls under. <laughs> yeah, the you American can roll patriot. that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we so all like we're do. kind of indirectly get back to Washington. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, Clayton, who did we end up sending to the alarmist jail and who did we slap? We threw the hazards of war <laughs> in jail. Okay. And we gave the big slap to nearsighted policy advocates. Mm, which I know, I know why we did that. Yes. <laughs> Just to explain the reason, our reasoning, which was very much inspired by our guest, um, yes. Jay, who did a great job. A disaster researcher. Yes, who did a really great <laughs> job of opening our eyes to all of the risk and uh, vulnerability that's out there. What was the equation? Uh, the equation was hazard times vulnerability equals risk. Exactly. We're putting that on uh, the entrance <laughs> of our future alarmist uh, mm -hmm. headquarters. Um, what was it? What the reasoning behind sending that to jail was that we felt like if the city was built a different way, perhaps it wouldn't have burnt down to the ground. So we were. You know, right? We were kind of slapping and you didn't have people laws. protesting these decrees that yes. they didn't want to have to pay for to fix. Yeah, so we might whole. have maybe lost sight of what was actually happening. I, I think, yeah. I don't. I don't think we lost. sight. I feel like our, what we threw in jail, the hazards of war, I think is fair because that's kind of like speaking to. That's true. Whereas the 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 slap is more like a technical way of being like, Hey, if we'd built the city better, it wouldn't have burned, but like really it burned because like you guys are at war and like, you should have expected yeah. fires to start. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So, but what do we think about? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What? Ben had to say. Yeah, what do you think, Reeves? I think we should send the American Patriots to wow. the alarmist jail. Those involved. Oh. Those involved, not all. Those who did okay. it, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and we slap the hazards of war. Okay. So I, I guess the that. hazards of war gets an early release from jail somehow. Maybe we allow, maybe we pull back our slap and say time served. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) They got out on. (laughs) Chris is saying that we don't have to actually slap them. Actually slap them. Because they already served time in the jail. jail. The hazards of war already did. I think hazards of war in general could withstand a slap. Another slap. You okay. know what I mean? That's I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> mm, me too. Okay. I'm going to call it. The hazards of war, you're getting the big slap. American patriots, now you're going to the alarmist jail. And again, you know who you are. I don't even have to say right. their names. We don't have to know either. And what's <laughs> you know? What's crazy about this whole thing is that this could have been a factor leading to a, a American independence. So in a way, this tragedy essentially could be a positive thing. Mm. Because if the British had a, un, if they had a totally, I don't know, could that have affected the war? If, if, if they New had York just gotten control of New York City? They yeah, they'd put the fire out or whatever. I mean. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that, oh, I wish we could, that could have been a follow-up question for Prof, the prof. Mm, we'll have to have Professor we'll get him on again. back. Yeah. We'll get him back. We'll get him back. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this has been really fun. Again, thanks to Professor Carp. And stay tuned because next week we're going to be discussing the controversial breakup of Ross and Rachel. Powered by ACAST.